0: Welcome to the Good Writing Podcast!
1: Welcome to the Good Writing Podcast!
0: Where two MFA friends talk writing craft. In this week's episode, we talk about therapy and milk-fed by Melissa Broder.
1: It's a very uh, funny little excerpt, uh, really, like, addresses the idea of character motivation, I think is what we end up talking about a lot in the episode, and how to showcase character motivation within uh, your writing, is in a way that's
0: engaging and more realistic mm-hmm. than yeah. just, than 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 many portrayals
1: of therapy and in fiction. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, welcome to the episode, and thank you very much for listening, and I hope you enjoy.
0: Enjoy the episode.
1: Hello, Emily.
0: Hello, Ben.
1: We're back. It's the Good Writing Podcast, the most exciting podcast in your podcast feed. Move we over, are Joe Rogan. Uh, one <laughs>
0: of the podcasts in your podcast feed. <laughs> Not everyone's, but yours. It sounds like if you've stumbled upon us.
1: <laughs> if you're hearing this, you've probably heard it before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ben, it's
0: so lovely to see your face. Um, yes. Let's get into it. Confess for me, Ben. Have you written <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm in the confessional booth. We're gonna to need to make a new theme song. The segment is now called the Confessional Booth, in which we admit that, god damn, I have not written anything. <laughs> getting embarrassing to say this every two weeks now, especially because it's word. every two weeks. I know, yeah,
0: because we went down in frequency and we're still not improving yeah. in our Yeah. Our we're like It'll give us
1: more time. Mm.
0: <laughs> and yet, and yet, not a single word, not one, nary.
1: Not, not anything. I haven't touched a Word document. I've thought about a Word document. I've thought about how I'm not doing it um, and that I really need to get on that, but uh, I have it written down in my schedule for tomorrow that I have to write some, so... Hopefully, that'll work, because usually that gets me to at least do it for a little while, even though I'm angry. <laughs> like. Yeah,
0: the begrudging first ten minutes. Um, yeah. I have um, scribbled in a document. Uh, it has okay. gone nowhere, but technically I, I put words into a sentence-length uh, uh, construction. So, um, much room for improvement, I would say. <laughs> but I did that'd, make an attempt. I also, I think I've probably complained about this on the podcast, but, um, I, my novel manuscript I had, Mm -hmm. like, I queried two literary agents who I really admired first, and they both Mm -hmm. asked for the full submission, and they both took more than a year to read the full submission, um, and in the meantime I was pretty, like, uh... I, I did not continue to query other agents as I should have. I was just mm-hmm. like really banking on those two favorite, one of those two favorite agents to pull through. Um, yeah. So I recently got rejections from both of them, um, which is not shocking. Yeah. that's a totally normal part of the process, but now I'm looking at myself yeah. like really kicking myself for not having queried more in the meantime. Yeah.
1: Uh, at least it closes the, it closes the loop, right? Like at least you're there so now you can send it out again. Like you can at least feel like that's done.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, I I do think if you get enough volume of rejections, like, mm-hmm. it's probably a sign it's not good enough. Like, accept it and move on. Yeah. Um, yeah. But two is not a good volume of rejections. And also, I like reopen the project. And I just freaking believe in this thing, Ben. I just need to find someone who mm-hmm. also does. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I didn't do a ton of writing, but I did uh, convince myself to start querying again. Okay. Good.
1: Good for you. That's a good spot to be in. So, I, I'm happy for you. You'll find your way. It, it, it will. It's a good book. So, it'll it'll find where it needs to be.
0: Uh, thank you. Thank you. Or, if it doesn't, uh, I will at least more thoroughly try before I give up on it.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe it's time to write. That'll be the evidence that it's time to write a different book. A much easier task. <laughs> 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 oh... Boy, oh boy! Uh, um, I have a question for you, Emily. Yeah, why have we that? chosen this as our path? Why is this what we've chosen to do? Every aspect of it's difficult <laughs>
0: and unrewarding. Largely, uh, I think you yeah. have to like be inherently rewarded by your own Microsoft Word document to ever eke any pleasure out of this. Um, I would yeah, say, yeah. Ben, you and I kind of haven't chosen this as our path. You know, after the MFA, you yeah. and I both found. Um, for profit jobs, yeah, right? That's true. Yeah. Um, I think I would be taking, if if you and I were both still adjuncting, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
0: or yeah. like just desperately trying to stay in academia for the sake of one day potentially having an academic job where your writing is part of your job. Your job. Um, I think yeah. you and I would be uh much much unhappier <laughs> than we are
1: but you know I, I was about to say like i i think my partner would have probably left me i would have become so intolerable because i would just be so angry all the time <laughs> like yeah, yeah my if... sense
0: of self-worth is not universally <sighs> dependent on querying agents and what happens yeah. to this manuscript you know like yeah i think it is yeah. very very good for you and me to have real adult jobs that actually pay a salary and aren't <laughs> aren't yeah. are no longer being exploited by the university uh, adjunct yeah. mill
1: <laughs> yeah jesus christ that's very true yeah agreed But yeah, sometimes I think about that, and I'm just like, I'm disappointed in myself when I'm not writing, and then sometimes I'm disappointed in myself just the same when I'm writing, but for different reasons. (laughs) (laughs) I like the
0: disappointed-in-writing reasons more, though. Those feel like much more informed reasons to be
1: disappointed in myself. (laughs) Exactly. You know, I'm I'm, I'm judging myself stylistically instead of holistically. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: I have eked some satisfaction out of this before, and I will again, God... Damn it all.
1: <laughs> yeah, there, there will come that weird moment uh, after having actually done some writing that you consider good. That that moment when you've sat down and you've you've finished it uh, uh, for now, for that moment, and it feels like, I think I did something. I think that I, I curved my way around a problem. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I created a puzzle for myself and I solved it.
1: Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm.
0: I do also think I find a lot of satisfaction in writing. Like, I get... The last time you, Sherry, from our MFA program and I did it did a workshop, I felt so fucking proud of the two of you that I felt proud of myself like cuz I was so proud of your work, you know, that it that like it, it rubbed, I I was kinder to myself as well. <laughs>
1: Hell, yeah. <laughs> um, Hell yeah. That that was a really fun workshop. We we need to do that again, honestly. Like, yeah. We
0: do. We do. Yeah. I'll text. I'll text. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I got I a think, thingy, but yeah. I think more doing it more often Create more opportunities for us to not hate it but also yeah. we got to get back in the community aspect of it yeah. you know and we have to work harder at creating the community aspect of it because yeah. we have for-profit jobs that aren't related to academia or writing
1: yeah yeah absolutely we got to put ourselves into it you're completely correct yeah, Agreed.
0: Mm. yeah. Mm, the structure i miss the structure
1: oh god yeah the structure of i, I miss the structure I miss not really having a job, but having a job and getting paid so little that I didn't care what I spent my money lo- on as long as I got my rent paid. It's like, well, saving is impossible, so <laughs> if I end up with an extra $60, that's fun money no matter what. Like, no, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know,
0: I think you and I should do—I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose a challenge to the two of us. Um, okay. I think you and I, in the next week before, seven days from now, Okay. We should spend $20 on some splurge related to writing.
1: Ooh. Okay. Interesting. I like this. Yeah. So this
0: could be excessive coffee shop usage. This could be a uh, new notebook. Whatever you're feeling, I dare you to spend okay. $20, bucks, mister Fellow for-profit employed.
1: <laughs> All right. Okay. We're, we're at it. Well, 20 bucks on something writing related. I love it. Hell yeah. And maybe that, hopefully, maybe, 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 maybe
0: will inspire us yeah. to actually get more writing done this week
1: yes all right let's go let's go I, i'm into it cheers we'll report back next episode to your listener <laughs> yeah uh for what our tw- we'll tell you what we spent twenty dollars on <laughs> cool huh? yo
0: if i don't spend this twenty dollars on something writing related i'm then mowing it to you like as punishment like we are okay. spending twenty dollars okay. on writing
1: the- that's so the that's the rule. Yeah, we spend it twenty dollars on, or we spend it on each other, or we lose we it. Might... We lose it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we get no, penalized. We have to donate it. We have to donate it to charity if we can't give it to each other because then we just both give each other twenty dollars <laughs> and nothing happens. <laughs> we should probably donate
0: it. Oh wait, do you know the story? Um, who was it? The writer who made a screenplay, um, and she gave herself a deadline. And in order to enforce that deadline, she wrote a check. A donation to a charity that she hated, Uh,
1: like Mm. I think it was the NRA. I've heard this. Yeah. Yeah. She wrote a
0: thousand dollar check to the NRA, and she Mm. told her like meanest friend or someone who would actually go through with it. If I don't have a full draft of the screenplay by whatever date, send Mm. this donation to the NRA in my name, like, and not don't make it anonymous. Like.
1: (laughs) Damn. Okay. Yeah. Hang on. I'm gonna look this
0: up. It was on Netflix. It was based on that. Um, old Italian story about, um, two, like, men in old-timey Italy had a crush on the same woman, and, like, the, the jock convinces the ugly guy to write letter, love letters to the woman in order, like, on his behalf. Yes! Alice yeah, Wu. Okay. okay. Alice Wu, in writing the half of it, um, yeah, got her deadline in because she would have forced herself to send a $1,000 donation to the NRA, which she
1: dislikes. Okay, cool. Good for you, Alice Wu. That's that's really strong, like, putting yourself in that position. That that takes bravery. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That sure got the job done for her.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Especially if you, like, don't really have $1,000. <laughs> like, that, that'll Eat. definitely... <laughs> yeah, that'll get the job done.
0: Although, I don't know. I do feel like writing in a panic is probably not as ideal as when all the stars just happen to collide. Uh, yeah. Cause yeah. a thousand bucks to a charity, I just like would, would put me
1: in a panic. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like whatever the Chick-fil-A fund is or something like that. Oof, that good, buddy. Yeah. Oof, buddy. Yeah.
0: Anyhow, 20 bucks.
1: 20 bucks. On writing
0: yep. this week. Writing. Elsewise, yeah. we have to, get penalized and send it to a charity we dislike to be disclosed at the time
1: okay Ooh, damn okay well then i'm i'm gonna spend that 20 dollars as soon as we're done here yeah (laughs) Yeah. i know (laughs) like like, the young republicans or some shit oh man oh well okay that's the challenge for the week uh, do you want to talk about reading before we go into the reading for this week, or do you want to just get straight into it?
0: I, I do briefly want to talk about reading. I am. Um, oh,
1: yeah.
0: I ordered from my local bookstore, I'm going to pick up, finally, belatedly, going to pick up Dinev Smith's newer poetry book, Comey, on Monday. Oh, he has a in new pre- one? Yeah. And in preparation oh, for that, cool. I reread Don't Call Us Dead. Um. Mm glorious chills still uh really phenomenal don't call us dead by danae smith amazing poetry collection
1: mm-hmm. absolutely agreed well one of my favorite books of poetry that i've ever read in my entire life not that i've read a ton a ton of poetry but that one definitely is standout and how good it is like um, yeah 100 100 yeah, 100%. yeah. yeah they, they write beautifully like yeah, yeah absolutely
0: what about you you read anything interesting
1: um i've read a few things actually I finished, um, I don't know if I talked about this on here before, but I was reading October, um, which is, uh, China Mievel's, uh, telling of the Russian revolution, um, uh, of the, from February to October to the actual Bolshevik revolution in October, which is very good. A great, um, really great book of history, very accessibly written, um, you know, treats it like a story, like very much so. He's a, he's a science fiction writer and fantasy writer. So him taking on this subject he brings his ability to like kind of style prose to this and it's really excellent, really, really fun read and just kind of, I don't know, it gives a lot of light to how specific of a time that was in which the Russian revolution was even an option. Like, a large part of why that was even capable, why the Bolsheviks were able to take over in October, is because the first revolution in February didn't work really, they established a provincial government that was very weak, and, and there was all this confluence of events. Very interesting story. Really great. And I also read um, a little novella uh, that uh, B.R. Yeager actually recommended when he was on the episode, when he was on the podcast, uh, The Wingspan of Severed Hands by uh, Joe Koch. Mm-hmm. Um Th- that is a really cool little bit of cosmic horror. Like it's kind of a retelling of uh Robert W Chambers' The King in Yellow. It- it's a kind of like a gender reversed version of that. So it's the Queen in Yellow is this kind of like out otherworldly spectral pr- presence that's influencing the uh dimension of humanity through the what's known as the Yellow Sign, which is like a sigil that if you see it, it makes you go crazy huh. and-, and like kind of I- insert you into her cult like it's really really good really really well written great like kind of when we were talking about hallucinatory description on the last episode I think a really good example of that um, in such a way that is more accessible than Gary J. Shipley's was because like it's constantly grounded within like the actual of what of the scene and then the hallucination comes in on top of that like in the way the hallucination does Um, very really good book like that a lot yeah cool I love it Mm mm-hmm yeah two two great choices yeah but yeah oh when when you were rereading dana's uh, uh don't call us dead um well did you find yourself going back to the same poems with the same um uh kind of love for them like i mean i'm sure you did to a certain extent or was, was there something new that stood out on this reread
0: honestly i was really floored in the reread because the same moments gave me the same level of emotional reaction as before um Dear White America is just, like, I have to take the data process, Dear White America, every time I, like, stumble upon it afresh, you know? Yeah. Um, especially the, uh, your master magic trick, America, now he's breathing, now he don't, abracadaver. Like, just <sighs> in my head for the rest of the day. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I there were, like, other bits that I, you know, Maybe noticed more of than I had before, but like this is this was my third time re- reading this, mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. to to still be stunned the, the same way was was mm-hmm. really impressive.
1: Hell yeah, hell yeah, great collection, absolutely agreed. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I could just talk about Dear White America for a long time. Like, yeah. there is oh, yeah, a, it, a line towards the end. Um, uh it's it's it starts with like for anyone who hasn't heard Dear White America before, like, I strongly recommend there's a, Danez's, Danez Smith is a really powerful, like, actual performer as well, so there's a lot of really good readings, recordings of them reading this on mm-hmm. YouTube as well, so strongly recommend. We'll find a link for the episode description if you want to pause us and go listen to the poem Dear White America by Danez Smith. Um, Towards the end, it starts with, like, I'm, I have left Earth, like, I'm giving up on you, Earth. I'm leaving, mm-hmm. um, and then towards the end, there's a line like, uh, "As I'm leaving, like I wish you well. I wish you war. Wo- I wish you well. I wish you war. I wish you our lives to gamble with no more." And just like, damn it, the sounds of those words are so good. <laughs> I wish you yeah. well. I wish you war, a W W, yeah. and then I wish you our, our lives to gamble with no more. So instead of doing a W word, it's like war, no more. It's it's. Yeah. Yeah, I just I just think that that is brilliant. Like I cannot get it out of my head anytime I restumble upon it.
1: Yeah, yeah. A poet that can actually rhyme in a way that like adds that is additive instead of distracting. Fantastic. Truly, yeah. truly a, a astounding to see. Like, yeah, he they just have like a just a keen eye for the language itself. They're yeah. they're they're so so good at just weaving the sound of uh, like understanding the sound that words make. Like yeah. Yeah, in a
0: in a way that's. Like, if I didn't notice it, I would still get a lot out of the poem, you know? Mm-hmm, Just, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. like,
1: it... Huh, huh, swooning. Mm-hmm. I'm swooning. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, it's excellent. excellent. Yeah. excellent.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Really lovely. Well, speaking of great writing, mm-hmm. let's get into today's, this week's marquee topic. Ben, yes. I sent you... A chapter from the novel *Milkfed* by Melissa Broder. Okay.
1: Um, so this is a novel. Um, this is not a novel. A memoir. Okay. Novel.
0: Novel. Okay. First-person yeah. narrator. Narrator. Yeah. But it's a protagonist novel. Okay. Uh, Milk Fed by Melissa Broder. I sent Ben the entirety of chapter four. Um, it's these are pretty short chapters. Chapter four. Mm-hmm. Uh, my therapist in Los Angeles, Dr. Raina Majab, wore sensible clogs and said insight adjacent things like put on your oxygen mask before helping others, but I didn't entirely respect her because she accepted my insurance. How good could she be if she was willing to deal with Blue Shield? Uh, yep, so it follows a, a, not, a narrator's uh, therapy session. Ben, first impressions.
1: Uh, first impressions, uh, very funny right off the bat. Um, definitely a, a great piece of humorous writing in here. Um, j- just kind of has that um, setup punchline, especially in that opening paragraph. I think it's really kind of like very splayed out how like they're doing setup into punchline on stuff like that. Um, you know, I got a therapist who says inside adjacent things, like, and then the punchline is this inside adjacent thing, like with, with that acting as the that phrase acting as kind of like the crux mm-hmm. and, and turning there. Um, definitely very funny. Um, you know, I I really liked how sparse the dialogue was. Like, mm. I, I is it like this throughout? Where it's just you know what what stands out is um, on page seventeen, about a little bit more than halfway down. There's um, it was a phrase used associate with a person who didn't need anything from anyone, a closed system, an automaton. I wanted to be that person. I wanted to be that automaton in reference to um. The therapist suggesting that the uh, protagonist try to do something, and then the response is just "Okay," I said, "I'll try it." Try it," said Doctor Majub. "Okay," I said again. Why not? Like the <laughs> the sparseness of those it, it it makes the characters like feel a little like cartoonized and like in the like in their externality in what's being expressed. Like mm-hmm. whereas where they there's clearly this rich internal life going on for the protagonist. Like, yeah, I, I thought that was really neat. Yeah, I like. Yeah, that a lot. but like,
0: so it's the therapist suggests she's having a she has a conflict with her mother, and the therapist suggests expect nothing from your mother. You can't mm-hmm. keep expecting it, and so she's got this rich internal dialogue about, you know, I want to be able to expect nothing. I want to be able to not need anything at all. Um, but all she says is okay, right? Like the yeah. the contrast between how much she's thinking about it and how much she vocalizes yeah I agree it's really interesting and I think also really reflective of these like harder conversations and how much people like process it versus what yeah. little they say out loud
1: yeah yeah mm. absolutely but yeah the those are the things that really stood out to me um, first off uh, just, but yeah just generally funny I, I thought it was I, I thought it was a neat little bit of writing but yeah so what, what, what are we bringing in today what are you thinking about this
0: I think that how this novel uses this therapy session mm. is really interesting, and a great contrast to how too many novels use therapy sessions, mm.
1: so. Interesting, okay.
0: Um, I, I think too many novels will bring in a therapist at the end to explain what's happening.
1: Right. Mm.
0: And the Mm. therapist will say all these insights that the narrator that the characters themselves didn't realize. Right. Mm -hmm. And the Mm -hmm. therapist will just like basically like look, break down the fourth wall, look the reader right in the eye and say this whole time the problem is she's never got appreciation from her mother. Right. Like that's (laughs) so I just feel like uh, how too many stories rely on therapist is like as translator to the audience of what's happening. Um, or exp- the, too often the therapist is explaining something that the narrator doesn't necessarily realize on their own. I'm yes. not saying that that's... It's it, it's popular for good reason, right? You know, like mm-hmm. that is... Mm-hmm. It works. Um, there's yeah. nothing wrong with having a therapist come in and explain to the client mm-hmm. character what's happening because that does happen to people in real life, like regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like that move is kind of like bringing in Hercule Poirot at the end <laughs> to like explain the, who the murderer was. And it's like, that's if I wasn't aware I was reading a mystery, you know, like mm-hmm, I don't want mm-hmm. the detective to come in and explain the mystery to me, you yeah, know, like yeah. that's, it's over explaining at some point. Um, okay. Yeah. I really enjoyed, I've, I've mentioned before um, another Melissa, Melissa Fibos's first memoir, Whip Smart. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that memoir, but I, how she, how she uses the therapist at, yeah, at the end is, like, the therapist comes in at the very end <laughs> and <laughs> explains to her why she did, why she, what motivated her throughout the course of the book leading up to this, yeah. which is perfectly fine. But again, it's kind of like a genre changer at the very end, rather than mm-hmm. me being able to, like, speculate and motivate and uh, speculate on the character's motivations. I don't want to fucking explain to me necessarily, yeah. like... Um, so how Melissa Broder in Milkfed uses the therapist, this narrator knows what's wrong with her, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's aware of the issue. Yeah. She
0: is aware. She's got an e- she has disordered eating. She mm-hmm. uh, has a very toxic relationship with her mother who will not improve. Um, yeah. She's aware of what the issues are, and uh, ha- instead of the therapist like explaining to her what the issues are or what her motivations are, the therapist helps push her to actually grow, which I think is maybe more interesting to read Mm -hmm. (laughs) like so
1: yeah and more like what a therapist actually does like they don't sit there usually at least in my experience and tell you and here's what's wrong with your brain like yeah Yeah.
0: (laughs) they're not just diagnosing for the audience what's wrong they're actually like hey you want you said you want to improve this here's an idea here's an Mm -hmm. exercise you could try or mm-hmm. here's an mm-hmm. exercise that you thought of that I'm just reminding you that you said you want to try, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so let me find it. On, on one of the first pages in this section that I sent you, I think, like, this really accurately sets up, I think, more realistically what therapy is often like. But also, mm-hmm. like, makes it clear to the audience what to expect from the rest of this chapter. So yes. yeah. I'd entered therapy hoping to alleviate the suffering related to both my food issues and my mother, but without having to make any actual life changes in either area. (laughs) I'd hoped Dr. Majab and I could pursue a subconscious hypnotherapeutic hypnotherapeutic modality, like learning to go comatose while still appearing alive. But Dr. Majab wanted me to take real action. (laughs) I feel like that's just so much more uh representative at least of my experiences with therapy most people who I hear hear about is experiences with therapy it's like you go in knowing you have a problem but not
1: necessarily feeling brave enough to fix it right yeah yeah like not necessarily even knowing like how like if the problem can be surmounted even yeah like um...
0: yeah so I just love what she does with therapy here um and it's so what happens in the course of this chapter that I sent Ben. This is the first time we meet Dr. Majab, and um, she, you know, instigates, I would say, the conflict of this book, but she's not like present for the conflict,
1: too, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, and I assume that's the conflict that's initiated in this chapter at the end, right? Like, okay, yeah.
0: yeah. So, a couple of con- so our narrator in Milk Fed has disordered eating, and. Stems in part from a very unhealthy relationship with her mother, mm-hmm. um, and the therapist in chapter four suggests ninety days of no contact with your mother. Yeah, and uh, during those ninety days, she actually like confronts how messed up her like thinking mm-hmm. about herself is, and how that stems from her mom telling her to think this mm-hmm. way about your body, right? Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this the the like momentum of this book follows her as she like actually for the first time confronts do I want to like be obsessed about my food calories every day all day long yeah. and it being one of the almost the only thing that I ever think about in mm-hmm. or you know um yeah, I just I think that like putting the therapist as part of the like instigation for the conflict rather than like Mm -hmm. post-conflict processing Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: was really refreshing
1: okay yeah so i i i will admit in my reading i don't see this too often because there aren't a lot of therapists in the books that i read so what what are some examples of this other version of this that you can think of if you have those like uh, i'm not trying to put you on the spot but Yeah,
0: yeah yeah um yeah well top of mind for me is the memoir, Whip Smart, by Melissa Phebos, yeah. which is great and perfectly good. Mm-hmm. It's just like that's how I've seen it done too too often. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So in Whip Smart, Melissa Phoebos she does various self-destructive behaviors throughout the first four-fifths mm-hmm. of the story, and then mm-hmm. in the final fifth, she starts going to therapy. And the therapist oh, okay. helps her realize like what motivated you to do those destructive behaviors, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Which is obviously realistic because it is a memoir. (laughs) You know, like it does happen like that. That's what happened. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Totally fair. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I feel like that's how it's usually done in stories. uh, In in novels, in fiction, Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. we are making up the character. Yeah. We as the writer should know what their motivation is Mm -hmm. early. Before yes. the conflict. And yes. I personally feel like divulging that information early and making the story about what she does with that information is more interesting than mm-hmm. making the story about discovering that information.
1: Yeah. Yeah, especially because like in, in any piece of like decent character writing, you'd be able, you should be able to see the motivation, whether or not it's being spoken out loud by the character or not. Like, you it shouldn't feel like there's some mystery as to like, well, why is she doing these things? Because then you get just those horrible twist endings out of that, of just like it's because of her horribly abusive childhood. Oh no, you didn't know. You did. How could you have known, lucky like, Well. You know, if there had been something going on in the story to place us in, like, the character's struggle with this, instead of just having that struggle be not not there until the very end, yeah. Yeah,
0: As I'm, with very rare exceptions, I don't think twists are effective. Not a twist when it comes to, like, the main character's motivation, at least. <laughs>
1: Like, twists for an emotional state, I think, are... Like, having a twist of their, like, secretly being, a you know, a third Star Cruiser that was in Cloaking the entire time, that's fun. <laughs> but having a twist of, like... A, a twist of that for the character is not the same thing. Like, a, a twi- I agree with you there, yeah. I'm... Yeah. Yeah. These are my thoughts.
0: I also feel yeah. like... Um, Dr. Majob's, like, the bit about... Uh, the elephants, I just Mm -hmm. loved,
1: you know? Yeah, So it's a very cute little moment, yeah.
0: Yeah, like, how much you get to know a therapist, too, is also, like, Mm -hmm. part of the reason that I often find that therapy in books is a bit boring, because you Mm -hmm. usually don't get to know the therapist very well. Most therapists don't self-disclose very much. So, like, as much as possible, the session is about the patient, not about the therapist, right? So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. other than you know, they're just trying to do their job. Like we don't necessarily get to know the therapist's motivation or any quirks mm-hmm. about them. So like the, the sparse things that like in this session, our narrator like comes up with about the therapist and like kind mm-hmm. of invents about the therapist, I think are really interesting. So, yeah. um, what she notices is the Dr. Majab's office was filled with elephants, uh, mm-hmm. crabs, st- statues, carvings, paintings, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wondered whether she genuinely loved elephants and had collected them over the years, or if Pier 1 was having a sale and she thought, yes, thematically cohesive decor, Fosto's ego integration and patience, and purchased them all at once. (laughs) So, like, here and elsewhere, like, she just, like, notices these elephants and and thinks about, like, I don't know, Mm. like, does she love, like, is this part of the job for her? Like, I, I just, like, she's, um... Speculating more on who the therapist is and gives us enough details to like feel like this is a real person, even if this real person is not necessarily like a uh, conventional character in the story. Even if this real person is withheld professional, we don't get to know them as an individual. We do like get enough to feel like they are an individual
1: yeah, they're they're not a personal actor in the story, but but a like a, a presence within it is still felt and implied behind the non personal actor. Yeah, like yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and I do just love that little detail because it does also speak to like the way that I think patients think about their therapists sometimes. Because I know I definitely wonder about my therapist sometimes. I'm like, what's this dude like? Like, what what are they doing in the? you know, in my experience, you know, I do mine on Zoom, so I'm just looking into it. Literally, there's just like a single cabinet behind him, and that's the <laughs> only view of his world that I have. Um, because I think he does it, I think he also does it from a library, is where he does his calls from. Hmm. Um, but yeah, he, he's just there doing it, and it's like, oh, okay, he's in that room, but I what what is his world beyond this and I feel like we often wonder about therapists in that way of like you know who are they outside of this and also like how much of themselves are they giving me because there has to be a little bit because they have to be able to entice me to talk to them they can't just be faceless but they they definitely don't want to reveal themselves to their patients because they're they're working they're doing their job it's not it's not about them like you said like yeah yeah
0: yeah exactly there's I don't there, in this section that I sent you, you know, she does self-disclose, like, um, she's comparing, our narrator has, like, done an accomplishment. She texted the link to her mm. mom. And the mom, like, mm-hmm. is a, immediately accusatory. The mom's saying, like, how did they find, how did the blog find you? Can't open the link. I hope there's nothing embarrassing in it. You didn't embarrass me, did you? Um, mm-hmm. And the therapist, Dr. Melchop, says, like, if her daughter came to her with that kind of news, she would be incredibly proud. My daughter's only 11, but I hope that she can one day have your your success. And she's, like, immediately jealous of Dr. Majov's daughter. You know, like... Um, I felt like that was, uh... Yeah, so, like, this Dr. Majov, like, it is demonstrating how the level of, like, self-disclosure that a therapist will do that's relevant and productive in session, right? Like, yeah. hey, you know... Uh, that's not how moms are
1: supposed to behave <laughs> uh, yeah. is essentially what she's saying by revealing some personal info. So if, if the essence as, as writers in writing, if we don't necessarily want to use a therapist to um, relay that moment or have that be a, um, you know, or, or just avoid that sort of emotional telling, what should a writer do instead? How do we bring in the, these like emotional, like characterizations and showing them this conflict with, without having that to be told to us? How do we just show that?
0: Yeah, I think I think like, what's your motive if you are thinking about including a a therapy scene or a Mm -hmm. psychological analysis scene or even just Mm -hmm. like a friend who absolutely reads the character for filth Mm -hmm. and explains Mm -hmm. their motivation to themselves, what is your motivation as a writer for including that moment? Mm -hmm. Are you, for example, if it's not a therapist, if it's a friend who's explaining like, hey, stupid, you said you'd break up with your ex and leave him forever, is that other character, do they have a motivation? What, you know, are they a real character in scene? Are they relevant to the story? If it's fictional, is it necessary that they exist? Or, like, does the scene need to exist at all? Or can this be implied? Can this information be integrated elsewhere? Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, if you are writing a mystery and you want the detective Hercule Poirot to gather everyone and, and explain what's up at the end, like... If that's your intention from the beginning, that's a okay. But if mm-hmm. if that's not if that's not going to be the climax of the story, where it's mm-hmm. where where a character explains what your motivation was the whole time, mm-hmm. cut that moment. Integrate that information elsewhere. Um, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. So so what are some ways that we can integrate that information elsewhere? What well, what do you think is u- useful in scene or or like ways of showing that? Yeah.
0: Sure. Here is. The very first paragraph of Milk Fed by Melissa Broder. It didn't matter where I lived. Mid-City, Mid-Wilshire, or Miracle Mile. It didn't matter where I worked. One Hollywood bullshit factory was equal to any other. All that mattered was what I ate, when I ate, and how I ate it. First paragraph, right? Mm -hmm. So she took character motivation and made it, the opening, (laughs) right? Yeah, This character is obsessed with her eating, disordered eating. Um, And instead of just, you know, us discovering that later, like, why hold back? Why not make that explicit from the beginning? Mm -hmm. Tell Mm -hmm. us Mm -hmm. what this character's Mm -hmm. motivation is. Um, And, you know, the rest of the action in that first chapter is, this first chapter is, like, recounting what her daily habits are, like, based on her really, really disordered eating, right? So, like, mm-hmm. she structured her entire day around thinking about, like, mm-hmm. when am I going to get to chew my next piece of nicotine gum to tide me over, right? Okay. Um, so I think this is a really strong, like, alternative, like, opening with, here is this character's motivation today. She's obsessed with her disordered eating, and this is what that looks like. I think mm-hmm. that's a really good alternative to, like, waiting until later and making us, like, realize on our own that it was disordered eating that was, like, messing, up, messing her up from the beginning. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah. though, you know, milk is a novel really explicitly about this narrator's, like, personal growth, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we we meet her with very disordered eating, very toxic relationship with her mother, and throughout the course of the novel, she, like, it becomes worse in a different way, and then it mm-hmm. becomes better, right? <laughs> so, like, it's mm-hmm. it's... She yeah. actually, like... Grows and addresses these issues in her life for the first time. Um, yeah. yeah. So if you're if you're like looking for a more conventional story about a character who grows, like just make their problem explicit at the beginning. Like, why are you yeah. holding back? Why is the temptation? I don't think subtlety is necessarily more interesting or more intellectual. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And, um... Here's a question. Uh, Do you find this narrator to be... Would you describe this narrator as being self-aware from the beginning? Or do they gain self-awareness? True.
0: Yes. Well, it's hard. When you're eating, is this disordered? Like, you are fucking aware. (laughs) You know? Um, Yeah,
1: of course. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So, it's... I think, like, as she says, you know, she's aware of her issues. But, like, not... not Self-aware. Not fully conscious of how big of a problem and how different her life could be if she addressed them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think too, you know, she's self-aware, but also uh, she is self-aware in that she's like thinking about her disordered eating all the time, but she's not fully self-aware because, um, let me just read a section. Uh, so when when she's a teenager, she like has her, she's her body goes into starvation mode. She grows soft fur over her body. Her period stops. Um, She's dreaming of buffets. her hip bones are chafing against the bed. Um, And she tells her mom, I have to tell you something. I think I have an eating disorder, anorexia, maybe. And and the mom says, anorexics are much skinnier than you. They look like concentration camp victims. They have to be hospitalized. You aren't anorexic. Um, So I do think she's self-aware. But I also think, you know, she is sort of self-aware. She's a like. Describing the behaviors of anorexia, but like yeah. many many studies are like not clear on this. But possibly most anorexics are fat actually, and mm-hmm. they don't necessarily aren't use the term or are are like fully aware of anorexia because their yeah. picture, their mental image of anorexics are amazing, um, very blood. emaciated, yeah, just visually different. So yeah, yeah. I do think like. Um, I think it's an interesting represent representation of anorexia you know mm. i do mm. think like some studies indicate that most people who are anorexic are very overweight um and mm. that their anorexia gets like applauded as dieting where when it's actually disordered eating mm. um yeah yeah so we do think like MilkFit does an interesting job this narrator is very very skinny but like I, there's a small acknowledgement of, like, yeah. because even this very skinny narrator thinks she's not skinny enough to be anorexic. Um, yeah. yeah, so she's sort of self-aware, but she's, like, not aware of the medical terminology or not fully mm-hmm. aware of how big mm-hmm. the problem is.
1: Yeah, I, I, and I just ask about self-awareness in terms of, like, how we could, like... I, I think that there may be a thing where it's easier to present a, like, motivation of a character when when that character is self-aware especially in the first person Mm -hmm. like if you're going to be inside that character's head I I think that doing that presents you with an opportunity to do this thing that you're describing about in in a that you're talking about working here in a very direct way but but I also think that like the suggestion you're giving to make those character motivations very apparent from the beginning is a good one but, um, and I'm just wondering how we can apply that to characters that aren't as self-aware, even as this character is. Like, to characters mm. that maybe don't have full grasps of their um, situation, because that's just an interesting place to start a story from as well. Um, but I, I guess the way of doing that might be like looking at just like making, the, making their motivation obvious, but their motivation isn't doing the thing they think it's going to do. Maybe Mm. maybe that's how that looks. Like, yeah. Tell me more about that. Um, Well, I'm just, you know, thinking off the top of my head, but maybe it looks more like, um, you know, having, like you said, a very clearly stated motivation but the end results of that um, are are not what I expect, uh, are not what they expect them to be. Like, the the example that comes to mind is, like, if you were to make, like, a CIA agent uh, your main character, you know, they might be very pro what they're doing, thinking that this is actually in service of, like, spreading greater democracy to the world, and their motivation is very clear that what they want to do is spread democracy to the greater world, but in reality, they're a CIA agent, so they're doing evil. Like, Mm. they are actively delegitimizing like, uh, you know, legitimate regimes and and taking away, like, power from people that are are traditionally, like, ostracized already, like, and maintaining a status quo that is not good. And maybe their their motivation moves them through that realization then.
0: Huh. You know, I think that's not just, like, that example, hypothetical example, is, like, Mm -hmm. not dissimilar of what happens here, right? So she thinks her motivation is, like, controlling what she consumes, right?
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And she wants to maintain a certain image in order to please her mom and the, a mother figure in her life, right? She wants to maintain a certain physicality. Um, but, yeah, and throughout the course, like, she realizes... Yeah, she, she like, reexamines that motivation, right, uh, mm-hmm. for the first time. Mm-hmm. So, like, that is similar to, you know, a CIA agent who thinks that he's spreading democracy, but is actually, like...
1: Uh, just, just, like preventing self government governance, <laughs> just doing what the CIA actually does, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> um, it
0: makes me think too. You know, um, I was rereading Sammy, a mythology a, a self- by uh, Audre Lorde, um, which is like okay, a yeah. Audre Lorde's memoir. Uh, Audre Lorde is a poet and she's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like a, a high, highly regarded black feminist theorist. poet yeah. and theorist, right, yeah. um. And Zami, her myth, like self mythology, sort of a memoir, sort of like sort of fictionalized. Um, she doesn't necessarily know that she's queer or what it means to be a black lesbian in the 1940s and 1950s at the beginning. Um, but like we as a reader are understanding what that motivation really is. Okay. So I think maybe what's interesting about revealing, at least as much as the character knows about their motivation at the beginning is that, you know, we can disagree with it as the reader, or we can add more, we can, like, get more out of it than the character is aware of at the time.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So how would you turn this into a writing exercise?
0: Ooh, oh, Ben. Mm -hmm. Well, I think one thing that makes this chapter four, first chapter with with the therapist effective, is that, like, it's pretty evident that they have an established relationship, like we're tuning in. This is we are not tuning in for her first ever therapy session, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. She even the therapist like uses a metaphor that I suspect that the narrator like was the first one to originate, right? So the therapist uses mm-hmm. a me- the she says she like the narrator is talking about like texting her mother that accomplishment, expecting like some amount of pride from her mother, mm-hmm. and the therapist mm-hmm. says you were going to the hardware store for milk again. Mm-hmm. Um, Which sounds like like a metaphor that probably the narrator like originated, right? Like you're going to a place that is not capable of serving milk, like asking for pride, right? Asking your mom to be proud of you and she's not capable of doing that. Mm -hmm. Um she's not going to do that. They do not serve that at the hardware store. Yeah. Um Yeah, so I think like starting if you're doing a therapist, what if instead of showing the first session, show session three months in? Or Mm -hmm. if, you know, just put Do more of the developmental work in notes instead of in the final edition. Mm
2: -hmm. Is
0: is my big Mm -hmm. advice. So like, yeah, do those exploratory figuring out. Like have the like write that scene where a friend or a therapist explains what the character's motivation was, but then maybe do like, what if they had that conversation again or a a more elevated, a a deeper version of that conversation later? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think. Do that, pre- do that as pre-writing and put what is on the page. Make sure that every, uh, on the page, like, it should be advancing, not explaining, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It should be mm-hmm. ad- advancing, okay, now what? What are you going to do with this information? Should be the point of this conversation, not explaining what happened four chapters ago. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, do you have any, any, any other, like, way to refine this exercise idea?
1: Um, I mean, I, I think that it, it's really just the scenario of like you know, fit knowing what these motivations are, knowing what your character's motivations are yourself, um, and, and then once you begin the process of writing what's going to actually be in the piece itself, making sure that those, making sure that those motivations are what you're writing about instead of having to have them explain back to you. I I think putting it in pre-writing is the best way to do it, like uh, of having someone explain what's going on and and then taking, okay, now that we, if you're going to redo that moment later, like you suggested, writing that moment with the knowledge, with the character knowing that that conversation already happened, essentially. Like uh, with the character already having the level of self-awareness that's achieved from having that sort of revelation. Like, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: Especially my God, you know, so often people in therapy like have the same realization several times over. <laughs> you know. So yeah. instead of yeah. instead of doing the very first of that realization, like do the second, do the tenth realization of that yeah. where it's where the conversation's a little bit more advanced than the first time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the other exercise to take out of this is if it is available to you and it, within your affordability bracket, also uh, go to therapy. Yeah. Go, go do therapy and, and see what that is like and experience that not just for, like, your writing or anything like that, but just because it's probably going to be good for you because it's good for everybody as long as you feel like it's the right time. Like. It.
0: Yeah. If you're willing to, I think, like... Yeah. It's usually... you there Anyone you don't have to be in the middle of a crisis anyone can get something yeah. out of
1: therapy yeah, yeah. It, it, as long as you want it you, if you go in not wanting it it won't work but like the uh, truth you, i've had that experience many times but when i finally went in wanting it it worked great so that yeah means,
0: mm-hmm. i love yeah. it mm-hmm. i love it. yeah so this these are my thoughts milk fed by melissa broder absolute romp but also really this is a kind of a page turner and I think it's in Mm. part because it's starting not when the conflicts start to like it's not starting at the ingredients phase it's starting at the like really part mostly cooked phase we're we're tuning in well after you know she's aware of what her problems are uh yeah yeah Yeah. I I think it's part of why it's so hard to put down
1: is because it's like really we're tuning in when the conflict is pretty well developed also, you know, really zippy prose. We didn't really mention, like, the prose itself too much during this, but really solid, like, well-written, um, very funny, you know, good stuff. Like, like the excerpt I read that I, I liked, yeah.
0: Is there any moment that we should uh, talk about further as far as just, like, zippy, zippy prose? Uh, let's see.
1: Um, basically, I think page 16 is a good example of this. Um, basically from the top into the middle, I think just kind of moves really nicely. 90 days, no contact? That's right. Like, not even an emoji? Try, she said. I laughed, as they say out loud. She never let me go more than four days without talking. She won't let you? I guess she can't force me to talk, but the guilt would be excruciating. Setting boundaries doesn't always feel good, Sigdot. Dr. Majab, just because it feels good bad doesn't mean it's wrong. Maybe it wasn't wrong to set boundaries, but I knew that my feelings would be intolerable. I kept thinking, my mother is going to die someday. I would die too. Dr. Majab couldn't stop death. What did she really know? Like, I think that just moves. That just has, like, that kind of, you know, sentence dropping into next sentence, dropping into next sentence feeling. Yeah,
0: Yeah. it feels really refined. You know, like you said earlier, it's a really good sample of, like, how little gets said out loud versus how much is, like, internal thoughts are happening Mm -hmm. behind that. Um, Mm -hmm. It's it's really good tip of the iceberg dialogue writing.
1: Yeah. 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 Agreed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Strongly recommend milk fed yeah. Melissa Broder.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Emily. Uh, before we sign off, is there anything that you want to bring to the audience's attention or oh. the, anything exciting happening?
0: Our recommendation of the week. Um, ben, <laughs> you go first.
1: What's your recommendation this week? Uh, my recommendation of this week is going to be uh, the, an extremely popular television show that's been on the air for like five, six years at this point. Uh, me and Fran just started watching Better Call Saul, the Breaking Bad spinoff. Very good. Excellent show. You don't need me to tell you that. Culture (laughs) already has. (laughs) It's true. It's it's pretty popular. It's true. Yeah, I actually
0: haven't seen it yet, so I, for one, appreciate your recommendation.
1: Yeah, definitely a thumbs up. If you liked Breaking Bad, you'll like Better Call Saul. I like it. I like it.
0: Um, My recommendation, because Milk Fed is about disordered eating, uh, will be the podcast Maintenance Phase. Um, Maintenance Phase is a... One of those podcasts where like one person does a ton of research and the other person's job is to say wow that's crazy <laughs> and they switch off which host is doing the research versus which one's doing the audience reaction stand in um nice. i just love that format for a podcast yeah. well done maintenance phase <laughs> anywho so maintenance phase is just really interesting health podcast learned a lot and specifically uh learned a lot about uh eating disorders from from maintenance phase so that'll be my recommendation from another extremely popular piece of media that many people have probably heard about but is relevant here
1: (laughs) nice hell yeah I think that brings us to our close, then.
0: Cool. Well, Ben, I look forward to yeah. hearing about how you spent your $20. To $20. Um, yes. And if Same. not, uh, are we doing the NRA as our un- unwilling donation, charitable donation? Yeah. What's, but, the, what's the oh threat? Oh, God. That's so bad right now. So that's bad right, right now. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Let's
1: make it the NRA. It'll be the... Yeah. So, let's, let's make sure that this goes to uh, literally anything else. <laughs> hey, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, And we will report back next episode on if this actually helped us to get more writing done than usual. Yes,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. All right.
0: All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. This has been the Good Writing Podcast. If you want to find us for something quick, we're on Twitter at at GoodWritingPod. If you'd like to send us a longer note, we have an email account, goodwritingpodcast at gmail.com. We love listener mail. Shoot us your emails. We'd love to hear about it. And if you have any suggestions of... Other tips and tricks you've tried that have succeeded in getting you to get back on the writing train, do let us know.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, thanks, everybody, and have a great week. Bye! Bye!